Support for this podcast comes from The Fresh Market, celebrating 35 years of fresh foods with in-store samplings and events throughout the month of April. Details at thefreshmarket.com. Blog Talk Radio.
Joyous, joyful exaltations to those who liberate themselves. Welcome to Women's Wednesdays. My name is Mariama Tane, and I'm thankful and grateful for your presence here this evening online, on the internet, via Blog Talk Radio's website, or whether you called in. Um, the call in number is 646 595 3898. Or you can text us live at 646-494-4722. Tonight's topic is sevens in time. Seven. The seven is a most, most auspicious number. And it has so many applications and meanings and derivatives and philosophical, theological symbols, minerals, (laughs) Crystals are all in sevens. So we're going to start off tonight with the praises up. Um, This evening I pulled from several different sacred texts. I pulled from the Kabayan. I pulled from the Emerald Tablet. I pulled from the Gospel of Peace. I pulled from the Bible. So we're going to start off with the sevens that are mentioned in the Bible. And what does that mean to us? So the sevens in time. Why did the Lord God take seven days to make the present world? When surely an omnipotent God could have done so instantly with a single word. The answer is so simple that it may astound you. The scriptures say that there are seven spirits of God in the King James Version of the Bible. In Revelations, and it's so deep how the numbers are together, in Revelations 3.1, Revelations 4.5, and Revelations 5.6 are as follows. Revelation 3.1, and unto the angel of the church in Sardis writes, these things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Revelation 4.5, and out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thundings and voices and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne which are the seven spirits of God Revelation 5 6 and I beheld and lo in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes, which, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. Okay, so that's the biblical foundation for the seven, the seven spirits of God. Behold, there came seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, Genesis 41. 29, and there shall rise after them seven years of famine, and all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt, 
and the famine shall consume the land. Genesis 41.30 And thou shalt number seven Sabbaths of years unto thee, seven times, seven years. And the space of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be unto thee forty and nine years. Leviticus 25.8 And they that dwell in the cities of Israel shall go forth and shall set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and the bucklers, the bows and the arrows and the handstaffs and the spears, and they shall burn them with fire seven years. Ezekiel 39.9 Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the seven and to seal up the vision and the prophecy and to anoint the most holy Daniel 9:24 Okay so seven the very first uses of seven denote time found in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 the very first group of seven days has delineated the days of the week since the beginning of human history. Man certainly has messed with the years and the calendars, so no man today can exactly know what year it really is. But that the seven-day week system has survived from Adam until today, no wonder it was ordained by the Most High from the beginning of this creation. The seventh day was proclaimed as something very special from the first two chapters of the biblical account. So we're going to look at the importance of the seventh day in relation to time. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had restored from all his work, which God created and made. Genesis 2, 2 to 3. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Exodus twenty eleven. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. In six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he was rested and was refreshed. Exodus thirty one seventeen. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day there shall be to you a holy day, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whosoever worketh therein shall be put to death. Exact Exodus thirty five two. The seventh day is the Sabbath day. On our calendar it's Saturday. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image Neither had he received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ 
a thousand years. Sevens in nature. It appears in physics and chemistry, and they are structured on such a base system. The seven notes with the eighth key, a higher octave of the first two as you go up on the keyboard. All the other minor notes are sharps and flats fit, with the, fit within the structure of the basic seven musical notes. If you pass sunlight through a prism, it produces seven colors, three primary colors and four secondary ones. In the realm of minerals and geochemistry, there are seven crystal systems. In the periodic table of the known elements, it appears to have seven levels of periodicity. So from just some of these examples, we can see that God has ordained a pattern of sevens in nature. All things of nature, be they matter, energy, time, or space, were designed and ordained by the high Lord God. Therefore, rest assured that the Holy Bible is the infallible master textbook of true science. And scientists can only elaborate on the observed details. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Colossians 1, 16, 7. So we're going to take a music moment as you meditate on seven and ask the Most High to relieve your mind of the things that cloud and tox, whatever's supposed to come through right now, so that you can get the real understanding of these principles and laws so that your harvest can be plenty.
Let the words of thy mouth and the meditation of thy heart be acceptable in thy sight, O most thy celestial Rastafari. The heavens declare the glory of the most high, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where thy voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Rastafari. heaven and his circuit upon the ends of it and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof lightning everyone should know
Yes, be a seeker, a seeker of knowledge. Know the laws that govern, create, manifest, shape the universe, the world, our movements. And how seven plays such a crucial role in all of these things. There are seven supernatural spiritual laws of Christ. 
and they will move you to understand how Christ walked on earth. The first principle that is laid, that laid the foundation, is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, which is found in in, um, Romans 8.2. So the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, which is found in Romans 8.2. Then there is the law of faith, found in Romans 3.27, that brings the framing of the house together. But without the law of liberty, James 1, 2, 5, 125, you can't have the law of kindness, Proverbs 31, 26. These two laws bring to the house of God power and water. But it takes the royal law of love of Christ Jesus, James 2, 8, which is the insulation. The law of righteousness is like the drywall and the wood finishing, Romans 9.31. But the law of sin and death, Romans 8.2, is the roof that brings protection to the body of Christ. The builder of this house is Christ Jesus, which will last for all eternity. To overstand that, it's the spirit of life, the law of faith, the law of liberty, the law of kindness, the law of righteousness, the law of sin and death are the seven spiritual laws. Now, there are also another set of seven laws mentioned in the Bible. And they're known as the seven laws of harvest. Again, that's the seven laws of harvest. Okay? Number one, we reap only what has been sown. We reap only what has been sown. Ephesians 5.15. See that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Ephesians 5.15 again. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. And Psalm 90, 12. So teach us to remember our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. We reap only what has been sown. We reap the same in kind we sow. Again, we reap the same in kind. So whatever you put in is exactly what you're going to get out. And that applies to everything. If you put a little bit, you half behind it, (laughs) you let it get ahead of you, you're going to get a mess in return. And as examples of the Most High, living and breathing on this planet, we need to put what he put in us and everything we do. So we reap the same in kind we sow. 
And that's um, attributed to Galatians 6, 7, 8. We couldn't find anything to match. We couldn't find anything to match the glory of the Most High. Three, we reap in different seasons than we sow. In different seasons. There's a time for planting the seeds. There's a time for planting, for organizing the garden before you even plant it. There's a time for meditation. There's a time for observance. And number four, we reap more than we sow. Once you put forth some effort, any effort, with the wholeness of your being and the spirit of the Most High, blessings will come. Number five, we reap in proportion to what we sow. Number six, we reap the full harvest of the good only if we persevere. Order to get the full harvest, the fullness of what your life can be, the fullness of experience that was really meant for you. You have to persevere. And seven, we can't do anything about last year's harvest, but you can about this year's. You can about now. You cannot cry over spilled milk. You can only learn from what happened, the good, the bad, and the in-between. You gain knowledge and insight, faith and faithfulness, hope and endurance, love and labor. And we will reap the full heart, the full harvest of the good only if we only if we persevere. And then evil is going to always come to the harvest on its own. It's a part of life. And that's where you have to be tough. You have to persevere. And the strength of the Most High within you. Galatians 6, 9. And let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all men. And especially those who are in the household of faith. Mark 4, 14 to 20. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. And in a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no form, no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when an affliction or a persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones whom seed was sown among the thorns. 
These are the ones who have heard the word and the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And those are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the good soil. They hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. Okay? So it's right there. It's going to come. You're going to have that obstacle. You're going to have that standoff. It's going to be more than one. <laughs> and they say new levels, new devils. But you got to be good soil. And Mark 4.20, and those are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the good soil. And they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30, 60, and 100-fold. So those are the seven laws of the harvest. Laws enacted by the Most High are the guidepost. It's the legend on the map. The rules must be applied, and you will constantly fall short. You'll never reap the full benefit of your harvest. That's due you. We're each due the full benefit as long as we apply the fullness of what the Most High put in us. Now, I pulled out my quadrivium, which is part of the four classical liberal arts of number, geometry, music, and cosmology. That's part of, again, the seven, the trivium quadrivium. And the trivium are the first three aspects. And so this is part of the quadrivium, the four. So the heptad is the seven sisters. Seven is the virgin standing quite alone and having little to do with any of the other simple numbers. In a music, in music, a scale of seven notes emerges as naturally as the sister five-tone scale. These are the white keys on the piano producing the seven modes of antiquity, a universal pattern. The seven modes of antiquity, a universal pattern. Like all numbers, seven embodies the number preceding it. Spatially, it functions as the spiritual center of six. As six directions emanate from a point in space, and six working circles surround a seventh restful one on a plane. The moon's phases are widely counted in four sevens, with the mysterious moonlit night or two completing its true cycle, colors of light, green, red, and blue, which combine to produce four more, yellow, cyan, magenta, and white. According to the ancient Indian, a vertical rainbow of seven subtle energy centers, or chakras, runs up our bodies. Today we understand that these are the seven endocrine glands. 
the seven planets of antiquity, arranged in order of their apparent speed, make an amazing connection with the metals and the days of the week. Moon, Monday, silver. Wednesday, Mercury, quicksilver. Venus, copper. Friday, sun. Sunday is gold. Mars, iron Tuesday. Jupiter, 10 Thursday. And Saturn is lead, which is Saturday. There are seven Frise symmetries, seven groups of crystal structures, and seven coils in the traditional labyrinth. The number seven is a number of completeness, divine perfection. It's something that is finished, as in the creation week in Genesis 1. Even though God spent six days in creating the earth all in one day, but he rested on the seventh day. No animal in Exodus could be sacrificed until it was seven days old. There were seven I am's in the gospel of John that Jesus used when he spoke of himself. The Lord would discipline Israel up to sevenfold if they refused to obey him. Leviticus twenty six eighteen. Jesus mentions seven woes or judgments on the unrepentant in Matthew 23. Jesus also mentions seven parables in Matthew 13. There were seven letters to the seven churches of Revelation 2 and 3. There were also seven trumpets announcing judgments by God in the book of Revelation 8. There were seven signs given in the Gospel of John. There were seven pairs of clean animals that were received into the ark, Genesis 7-2. Joshua and Israel marched around Jericho seven times while the priests blew seven trumpets before the walls came crashing down, Joshua 6-3-4. Elisha told the military commander, Namam, to bathe in the Jordan River seven times and he would be healed of his leprosy, 2 Kings 5.10. There were seven qualities or attributes of Messiah mentioned in Isaiah 11.2. There are seven things that the Lord hates mentioned in Proverbs 6.16. There were seven stems on the lampstand in the tabernacle. Exodus 25.37. There were seven angels pouring out seven bowls of wrath of God in the book of Revelation 16.1. So the number seven in the Bible represents divine perfection, totality, or completion. And it's mentioned at least 490 times. Okay? Okay. Now, to go a little deeper, I wanted to juxtapose um, for a moment the seven hermetic principles against the sevenfold peace, as mentioned in the Gospel of the Essenes. So the seven hermetic principles, which comes from 
the Kabbalion, are the principle of mentalism, that all is mind, the principle of vibration, nothing rests, everything moves, everything vibrates, the principle of correspondence, as above, so below, the principle of polarity, everything is dual, everything has poles, everything has a pair of opposites. Like and unlike are the same. Opposites are identical in nature, but different in degree. Extremes meet. All truths are but half-truths. All paradoxes may be reconciled. The principle of rhythm. Everything flows in and out. Everything has its tides. All things rise and fall. The pendulum swings, manifesting everything. The measure of the swing to the right is the measure of the swing to the left. Rhythm compensates. The principle of cause and effect. Every cause has its effect. Every effect has its cause. Everything happens according to law. Chance is but a name for law not recognized. There are many planes of causation, but nothing escapes the law. And the principle of gender. Gender is everything. Everything has its masculine and feminine principles. Gender, ma- gender manifests on all planes, on all planes. Okay, so just to juxtapose it with what Jesus spoke of as the sevenfold peace, the first one is peace with the mind. And that can be compared to mentalism. Rather, mentalism can be compared to that. As, the, as you know, Jesus is from the Mosai. And then peace with the brotherhood goes with correspondence. Okay, because in mentalism, with peace with the mind, you know, and seeing the multitudes, Jesus went up into a mountain and his disciples came unto him. And all those who hungered for his words and seeing them gathered, he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Peace I bring to thee, my children, the the sevenfold peace of the earthly mother and the heavenly father. I bring to thy body. All right? Peace I bring to thy body. Guided by the angel of power, peace I bring to thy heart. Guided by the angel of love, Peace I bring to thy might, to thy mind, guided by the angel of wisdom. Through the angels of power, love, and wisdom, thou shalt travel the seven paths of the infinite garden. And thy body, thy heart, and thy mind shall join in oneness and the sacred flight to the heavenly sea of peace. Yea, I tell thee truly, the paths are seven through the infinite garden, and each must be traversed. By the body, the heart, and the mind as one, lest thou stumble and fall into the abyss of emptiness. For as a bird cannot fly with one wing, so doth thy bird of wisdom need two wings, power and love, to soar above the abyss to the holy tree of life. But the body alone is an abandoned house seen from afar. What was thought beautiful is but ruin and desolation. When drawing near our body alone, 
chariot fashioned from gold, whose maker sets it on a pedestal, loweth to soil it with use, but as a golden idol, it is ugly and without grace, for only in moments doth it reveal its purpose, like the hollow blackness of a window. When the wind puts out its candle, is the body alone, with no heart and no mind, to fill it with light? And the heart alone is a sun with no earth to shine upon, and a light in the void, and a ball of warmth drowned in a sea of blackness. For when a man doth love, that love turneth only to its own destruction, when there is no hand to stretch forth in good works. And no mind to weave the flames of desire into tapestry of psalms. Like a world within the desert is the heart alone. With no body and no mind. To lead it singing through the cypress and the pine. And the mind alone is a holy scroll. Which has been worn thin with the years. And must be buried. The truth and beauty of its words have not changed. But the eyes can no longer read the faded letters, and it falleth to pieces in the hand. So is the mind without heart to give it words, and without the body to do its deeds. For what availeth wisdom without a heart to feel, and a tongue to give it a voice? Barren as the womb of an aged woman is the mind alone with no heart and no body to fill it with life. For lo, I tell thee truly, the body and the heart and the mind are as a chariot, a horse, and a driver. The chariot is the body, forged in the strength to do the will of the Heavenly Father and the Earthly Mother. The heart is the fiery steed, glorious and courageous, who carries the chariot bravely, whether the road be smooth or whether stones and fallen trees lie in its path. And the driver is the mind, holding the reins of wisdom, seeing from above what lieth on the far horizon, charting the course of hoofs and wheels. Give ear, O ye heavens, and I will speak. And hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. My doctrine shall drop as the rain. My speech shall distill as the dew, as the small rain upon the tender herb, as the showers upon the grass. Blessed is the child of light. Okay? Blessed is the child of light. So mentalism goes with peace with the mind. And correspondence goes with peace with the body. As above, so below, this principle embodies the truth that there is always a correspondence between the laws and phenomena of the various planes of being and life. And the grasping of this principle gives one the means of solving many dark paradoxes and hidden secrets of nature. There are planes beyond our knowing, but when we apply the principle of correspondence to them, then we're able to understand much that would be otherwise unknowable to us. What corresponds? There's matter and there's antimatter. As above, 
so below. You can use that method to mind map all different kinds of strategies. Okay, this principle is considered one of the most important mental instruments by which man was able to pry aside the obstacles which hid from view of the unknown. Its use even tore aside lots of veils, <laughs> okay, just as knowledge of the principles of geometry enables man to measure distant suns and their movements while seated in his observatory. So a knowledge of the principle of correspondence enables man to reason intelligently from the known to the unknown. And studying the monad, he understands the archangel. Now, seven, just to crisscross around a little bit, is also um, the seven represent the seven African powers. Right? This seven is all over and all-encompassing. And so many different groups of people who recognize the correspondence of seven incorporated it in a big way within their religious structures. All right, and then you have the law of vibration, and that to me corresponds with the Book of the Essenes, the um, Book of Peace. Peace with the body, because your body is the main vibratory vessel, the mind, the heart, the will, the belief, the power, all emanate from you. So that's peace with the body. And polarity is peace with mankind. And rhythm to me, it's peace with the ages. It's peace with the wisdom of the ages, according to the gospel of peace, the sevenfold peace. The wisdom of the ages has been a constant rhythm within the frequency of our existence and how it's played out and how it's manifested and how it was sought and how it was implemented. If you look at time, you'll see the patterns of how civilizations grew and lost themselves and found themselves and rebuild themselves. It's all a pattern, which is a rhythm. The law of cause and effect corresponds with peace within the kingdom of the earthly mother. The earthly mother, the feminine principle, one thing, we effectuate creation, we help effectuate changes, our emotions, our being able to tap in on a more general and consistent level than our masculine counterpart. Because everything is inward. It's in us. And then we birth it out, cause and effect. And then the last um, hermetic principle, gender. 
I correspond with the peace of the kingdom of the Heavenly Father. Gender does matter. The masculine principle is needed. It's affirming. It's protective. It's confirming. The masculine principle is needed just as much as the feminine. So again, the seven hermetic principles are the principle of mentalism, correspondence, vibration, polarity, rhythm, cause and effect, and gender. I mean, all is mind. The universe is mental. It explains that the all which is the substantial reality underlying all the outward manifestations and appearances, which we know under the terms of the material universe, the phenomena of life, matter, and energy, and all that is apparent to our material senses is spirit, which is in itself unknowable and undefinable, but which may be considered and thought of as a universal infinite living mind. And that universal, infinite, and living mind is the most high. It also explains that all the phenomenal world or universe is simply a mental creation of the all, subject to the laws of created things. And that the universe as a whole and in its parts or units has its existence in the mind of the all, in which mind We live and move and have our being. This principle, by establishing the mental nature of the universe, it easily explains all of the varied and mental psychic phenomena that occupy a large portion of public attention, which, and without such explanation, are non-understandable and defy scientific treatment. You can take this principle... And apply it to well-being and advancement within your own life. Strive to be able to apply intelligently the great mental laws instead of using them in a haphazard manner. The student may unlock many doors of the mental and psychic temple of knowledge and enter the same freely and intelligently. We all have it within us to have the mastery of our own minds. But you have to get on the path to mastery. Higher mind, reach higher, be high. (laughs) Higher consciousness, higher elevation. And the principle of correspondence as I spoke to before, you're able to pry aside the obstacles. Once you know the setup of what it is you want to do, you want to implement, look at the other side. What's what's that old saying? Prepare for the worst and hope for the best. You have to look at both sides. How whatever you're doing or the path you're taking can fail you, and if it does, have backup for the backup because you have forethought. Backup for the backup. That's the principle of correspondence in layman's term. 
the principle of vibration. Everything is in motion. Everything vibrates. Nothing rests. This principle explains the differences between manifestations of matter, energy, mind, and even spirit. And it results largely from varying rates of vibration. From the all, which is pure spirit, the most high, down to the grosses of matter, all is in vibration. And the higher the vibration, the higher the position in the scale. The vibration of spirit is at such an infinite rate of intensity and rapidity that it's practically at rest just as a rapidly moving wheel seems to be motionless. And at the other end of the scale, there are gross forms of matter whose vibrations are so low as to seem at rest. Between these poles, there are millions upon millions of varying degrees of vibration. From corpuscle to electron, from atom to molecule to worlds and universes, everything is in vibratory motion. This is also true of planes of energy and force, which are but varying degrees of vibration. And also on the mental planes, whose states depend upon vibrations, even on the spiritual plane. So understanding this principle with the appropriate formulas enables you to control your own mental vibration as well as those of others. Overstand. You have to be able to control your own mental vibration. Just like when someone walks into a room, you know without even looking at their tells you whether they're having a good day or a bad day or they're confident or they're lazy or they're there to cause harm. You don't even have to look up. You can feel it. That could be harnessed within yourself and effectuated on an efficient way. Okay, that's the principle of vibration. The principle of polarity, that means everything is dual. Everything has two poles. Everything has its pair of opposites. You know, um, thesis and antithesis are identical in nature, but different in, a, in degree. Opposites are the same, differing only in degree. The pairs of opposites may be reconciled. Extremes meet. Everything is and isn't at the same time. There are two sides to everything, etc. It explains that in everything there are two poles or opposite sex. And that they're really two extremes of the same thing. Hot and cold, although opposites are really the same thing. The difference consisting merely of the degree of the same thing. This principle manifests in the case of light and darkness, which are the same thing. The difference consisting in the varying degrees between the two poles of phenomena. Where does darkness leave off and light begin? What's the difference between large and small, between hard and soft, between black and white, between sharp and dull? The principle of of polarity explains these paradoxes. The same principle operates on the mental plane. Love and hate, two mental states. 
right, gradually that sometimes we are at a loss to know whether we like or dislike or neither. They're all simply degrees of the same thing. It's possible to change the vibrations of hate to the vibrations of love in one's own mind and in the mind of others. You know, you can understand the art of transmuting evil into good by means of application of the principle of polarity. That's a phase known as mental alchemy. Understanding this principle will enable one to change his own polarity as well as that of others if you devote time and study necessary to master the art. Or just get to know it so you can know if it's being used on you. See, those that are supposedly, quote-unquote, the powers that be, use and understand these principles and they named them occult and esoteric and gave it scary names to keep us away from it. They take the symbols. They have agent provocateurs on YouTube and other various forums. They have trolls that purposely align negativity to things that are based in the Most High. Don't be afraid to read books. Spirit will tell you if it's not for you. We all have our own levels and our own amount of perseverance. Some are ambitious and some are just not. It doesn't have to be ambitious for material things, just for self-knowledge and self-preparation and growth and aptitude. And you have the principle of rhythm. And this principle embodies the truth that in everything there is a manifested measured motion to and fro, a flow and an inflow, a swinging backward and forward, a pendulum. Like movement, a tide like ebb and flow, a high tide and a low tide. Right, a season and a reason, going back to the laws of harvest. There's always an action and a reaction, an advance and a retreat, and a retreat, a rising and a sinking. This and the affairs of the universe, suns, worlds, men, animals, mind, energy and matter. This law is manifest in the creation and destruction of worlds and the rise and falls of nations and the life of all things. And finally, in the mental states of man. Grasping this principle, finding its universal application is a certain means to overcome it, its, its um, effects in yourself by the use of appropriate formulas and methods. They apply the mental law of neutralization. You have the power to neutralize. <laughs> you don't even know it. Well, some of you do. Some of you do. But some don't. The mental law of of neutralization. You have 
you learn how to escape its effects upon yourself to a certain degree, depending upon the mastery of this principle. You learn how to use it instead of being used by it. So, for example, a master of hermetics polarizes himself at the point at which he desires to rest and then neutralizes the rhythmic swing of the pendulum that would tend to carry him to the other pole. See, that's the power of your vibration, the power of your mind, the power of your body. Sometimes we can get ahead of ourselves, and that, and there lies the destruction of whatever we're trying to do. Your inner pendulum swung so far ahead of you and thought about this big grand you know, scheme as opposed to the practical steps that have to be taken to make it become something grand later on. How many times have we all done that? Got ahead of ourselves. We're just so excited about the idea, but the follow through, like Sister Fanai said last week, the follow through is what falls through. Unless you're able to control your own pendulum, your own rhythm. Okay, so the principle of polarity is the methods of counteracting, neutralizing, and using them form an important part of hermetic mental alchemy. The principle of cause and effect. This principle embodies the fact that there's a cause for every effect and, and, and an effect for every cause. And this explains that everything that happens according to law, that nothing ever merely happens. Like there's no coincidence, there's coincidence. Two incidents have happened. Nothing merely happens. Something got called by you, by your voice, by the words you spoke, or by the thought you put out. There's no such thing as chance. That while there are various planes of cause and, effect, cause and effect, the higher dominating, the lower plane, still nothing ever entirely escapes the law. You have to understand the art and methods of rising above the ordinary plane of cause and effect to a certain degree. And by mentally rising to a higher plane, you become causers instead of people Feeling the effects. <laughs> okay? As they rise above the ordinary plane of cause and effect to a certain degree, and by mentally rising to a higher plane, they become causers instead of effects. The masses of people are carried along, obedient to environment, the wills and desires of others stronger than themselves. We see this happening all across the world all the time. Every day on the Channel News right now, you see the causes, who are the causers, and who feels the effects. The other outward causes moving them about like pawns on the chessboard of life. But the masters rising to the plane above dominate their moods See, no one, one thing, my mother made it really simple. She taught me this principle as a child, and, but she didn't say it was the principle of cause and effect. What she said was, Mariama, don't let anybody take you out of your thing. 
You maintain your thing at all times. You only come out if you want to come out. Just because you were mad at me and you want to fight, doesn't mean I'm going to fight you today. I don't have to have beef with anybody. She can have all the beef she want to have and get full off of it. But I don't have to return the aggression or the energy that that would be necessary to activate the next level of stupidness. And let no one take you out of your thing. You maintain your thing at all times. You only come out when you want to. And that's what the principle of cause and effect is saying. By mentally rising to a higher plane, right, then you become the causer instead of feeling the effects. Rising to the plane above, dominating their moods, characters, qualities, and powers, as well as the environment surrounding them, they become movers. You become a mover instead of a pawn. You help to play the game of life instead of being played and moved about by others' wills in their environment. They use the principle instead of being tools. Okay, the masters obey the causation of the higher planes, but they help to rule on their own plane. You have to rule your own plane while obeying the laws of the Most High. And seventh with the Hermetic Principles is the principle of gender. This principle embodies the truth that there is gender manifested in everything. Masculine, masculine and feminine principles ever at work. This is not only true of the physical plane, but of the mental and even the spiritual plane. On the physical plane, the principle manifests as, as um, sex. On the higher planes, it takes forms, but the principle is ever the same. No creation, physical, mental, or spiritual is possible without this principle. An understanding of its laws will throw light on many subjects that has perplexed the minds of, of men and women. The principle of gender works ever in the direction of generation, regeneration, and creation. Everything and every person contains two elements or principles or this great principle within it, within him or her. Every male thing has a female element also. Every female contains a male principle. If you would understand the philosophy of the mental and spiritual creation, generation, and regeneration, you must understand and study the principles. It contains the solutions of many mysteries of life, such as base revivals of ancient infamous forms of, of phallicism tend to ruin mind, body, and soul. You can't, you can't, let, your, you can't let your physical rule you. You have to be in control of your physical as men and women. It'll lead to your ruin. You know, um, gender is everything. Everything has a masculine and feminine principle. Just like we have the kingdom of the heavenly father and the kingdom of the earthly mother. And once you understand these things and take time to meditate on them, the uses and the ways to apply them will come more apparent to you. The law of mentalism, you know, 
one way that you can apply that law is um, so this law dictates that all creation exists in the mind of God and by extension our lives and exist in our own minds. So perception is reality. Things are how you think they are. So one thing you could do is you can make a list. You have to get crystal clear on what is exactly your goals are, right? The more precise, the better. So, or what is not your goal? So sometimes it's easy to write down what it is you don't want. You can make a whole list of what it is you don't want, and then you can take its opposite and start the do want list. You see what I'm saying? And then keep polishing it until you have your goal or desire honed to such a degree that even thinking about it makes you smile. Right? That's how you can that's 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 one way to apply the law of mentalism. The law of vibration that you want to figure out how being and doing or having your goal manifest is going to make you feel. And once you have that feeling, do whatever it takes to get yourself into that emotional state as often as possible. Because you're tingling, you're electric. I was telling my son, my eight-year-old earlier today, you know, we're made of like 80-something percent water. We're electrical magnetic beings. Wherever your attention goes, energy grows. So if you're concentrating on this negative thing, you know, it's going to grow. You're giving it power. That's the law of vibration. So once you have this feeling, this may mean doing things or going places that give you that feeling. You see? Going places that give you the feeling of whatever that makes you feel good, whatever your goal Whatever having your goal manifest is going to make you feel like places that also bring out that feeling in you. And when you feel that, whenever you go there, go there more often. And then, you know, you never know. As you're there, because of your your vibration, you may magnetize the right persons or inspirational ideas to help you on the path of whatever it is you're doing. And the more time you spend in that emotional state or vibration, the sooner your goal will arrive because you're actively accessing your vibratory nature. Then you have the law of correspondence. You know, so you can look at other people who have accomplished what you want and study them. See if you can find out what their habits are. You know? Start adapting the things in your life you can, you can control to mirror the lives of, of, you know, ones who are getting the type of results you want to get. In short, don't hate, appreciate, okay? Do what they do to increase your chances of having what it is you want. And the law of polarity, which is, you know, there are at least two sides to everything, up and a down, a black and a white. This also means that your journey from where you are to where and who and what and where you want to be will have its ups and downs. You'll have good days and bad days, advances and setbacks. So you can learn to start preparing yourself for the ups and downs that will come with your goal. That dream car will need maintenance, right? Find out what it will take. How much is it going to cost? Prepare yourself, you know, ahead of time. Those millions will have taxes due or at least need a tax shelter, right? Start educating yourself now so that you'll be a good steward over your blessings. The law of rhythm. 
dictates that everything changes and nothing stays the same. Night follows day and then back again today again. What this means is just like the last law, you said you have we, we have wins and losses. This law dictates that you'll have lots of wins and losses on your way to the top. And even after you get there, your goal is to position yourself to have big wins and small losses. The losses are going to come, and they don't have to be big and gigantic and chaotic and nerve-wracking. You can control what you can control and have backup for the backup so that if something does go down, it's not something that's going to tear apart your whole situation. And the law of gender, this law dictates that there are male and female aspects to every situation. This is a point of big confusion among many coaches and gurus, I find. Whether you should take action or stand still, the answer is both. In some moments, you actually have to go forward and act, and in others, you just have to stand still and allow. And that's masculine and feminine in itself, overstand. Go forward and act, or be still and allow. Basically, do all you can at any given moment, and when there is nothing left to do, sit still and wait for the next opportunity to act. And the last um, hermetic principle, the law of cause and effect, also known as the law of Goya, get off your... (laughs) Get off your behind. You have to get up and act. Either be the causer or be affected by others who are causing. Okay, so hopefully one took notes. Meditate on that. We're going to do a part two and possibly a part three. I'd like to really break down the sevenfold piece next week. As expounded by Jesus, Yeshua himself, the sevenfold peace and all that that entails. And from the Essene book of of, um, Jesus, the sevenfold peace is peace with the body, peace with the mind, peace with brotherhood, peace with mankind, peace with the wisdom of the ages, peace with the kingdom of the earthly mother, and peace with the kingdom of the heavenly father. You got to take hold of these sevens and bring this perfection, completion upon us and utilize it for all the strength and power that it holds. As the most high taught. Right now we're going to take a music moment. And we're going to listen to a piece of Bobby Condor's featuring Mata Baruka, the poem. This poem shall speak of the wretched sea that washed ships to these shores, of mothers crying for their young, swallowed up by the sea. This poem shall say nothing new. This poem shall speak of time, time unlimited, time undefined. This poem shall call names, names like Lumumba, Kenyatta, Nkuma, Anibal, Atherton, Malcolm, Garvey, Haile Selassie. 
This poem is vexed about apartheid, racism, fascism, the Ku Klux Klan, riots in Brixton, Atlanta, Jim Jones. This poem is revolting against first world, second world, third world, division, man-made decision. This poem is no secret. This poem shall be called boring, stupid, senseless. This poem is watching you trying to make sense from this poem. This poem is messing up your brain, making you want to stop listening to this poem. But you shall not stop listening to this poem. You need to know what will be said next in this poem. This poem shall disappoint you because this poem is to be continued in your mind. Some people want destruction of their enemies 
So that is when they activate Orchestrated vicious strategy Motivated by hate So let's lay in wait A generation of vipers Plotting to constrict the flow So I and I must know When to let go
Fyra bugg och en Coca-Cola Dela freestyle med fräckt musik Fyra bugg och en Coca-Cola Doft av sommar och romantik Vill du leva och vill du dansa Våga krafta och våga skänka Fyra bugg och en Coca-Cola Dela freestyle med fräckt musik Ring, ring, bara du slog en signal Ring, ring, tystnaden är Blessings, and I'm back with the going gnosis, your news infused with consciousness. Going to know what's happening in the world and how it's affecting us. Um, number one I want to talk about this evening is just on March 13th, um, President Trump signed an executive order. I know he signed many, but this one besides the other ones I mentioned last week, this is really the P.S. de resistance for me. He signed an executive order on a comprehensive plan for the reorganization of the executive branch of government. A comprehensive plan on the reorganization of the executive branch of government. He hasn't even been in office 100 days, and he's reorganizing government. Like, straight up. He's making moves like any president of a corporation, a new CEO in charge, comes in. The first thing they do is is that they fire the people that was loyal to the previous president. That's what he did with the lawyers, right? All the lawyers under Obama was just unceremoniously fired. I think it was 46 of them last week. And then they go and then they restructure the company, right, in a way in which – 
produces more profit and streamlines and makes more efficient the process of doing business. Now, he's, he's, he's done this with his own corporation and other companies that he signed on to or merged or bought and sold throughout the years. But now these actions affect millions and millions and millions of people, not just a corporation of 8,000 or 500 or 1500. So he signed the executive order on a comprehensive plan for the reorganization of the executive branch. So we have three branches of government. Right? And so the executive branch is the top tier. And he wants to go in and assess what can be dismantled altogether, what can be merged, and what can be solidified. We have the legislative branch, the executive branch, and the judicial branch. Okay, so he's starting at the top, which makes sense and business-wise. You got to change all the heads of, the, of all the, of all the departments to go along with whatever your plan for reorganization is. And so he's saying in this order that he doesn't really, you know, he's not he's not considering real people. And how this is going to affect our lives. Now, in a way, there are some agencies that have too much red tape. You know, um, that it takes you a year or two years to get a form that you need from the government to move forward in your life. And you and you know, and then no one's ultimately responsible for what it is you're trying to get done whenever you're dealing within a governmental structure. There's always five layers of people with 12 people in between each of those layers that have to either sign off or have something to do with it. So you say that the purpose of this order is intended to improve efficiency, effectiveness, and accountability of the executive branch. And they're proposing a plan to reorganize governmental functions and eliminate unnecessary agencies and components of agencies, as well as agency programs. Now, see, I wouldn't mind a restructuring under the right purview. You know, I mean, he's doing what needs to be done to a certain degree, but it's his perspective and his resolution and his solution that sounds so skewed to me that, you know, it, it, it just really just makes me wonder what it is that they're really trying to implement because this is fast-moving changes, you know. Um, and this has a 180-day closing date, only 180 days. So people just need a whole good month just to wrap their head around it probably. That's <laughs> 30 days right there. Then they have to get together and look at everything to be able to fight back. So within 180 days of this order, the head of each agency shall submit to the director a proposed plan to reorganize the agency. 
Okay, and then so they're gonna they're gonna publish a notice in the Federal Register inviting the public to suggest improvements in the organization and functioning of the executive branch, and they claim that they will consider the the um, suggestions when formulating the um, proposed plan described. If he reorganizes the executive. He's going to go after go after the legislative shortly after to make it bend to his will. And the judicial, they already have that card stacked to get the majority of what they want done done. So they may not mess with the Supreme Court too much. But the legislative and the Congress, they're going to go after that next. So be awake and aware they're about to change the whole structure of government as we know it. As you were taught in school, it's going to be different in 180 days. Um, the next thing that I found interesting was they have also um, had this controversial bill um, called Preserving Employee Wellness Program Act, which is being um, was, it was introduced by Mar- on a March second by Representative Virginia Fox, a woman, a re- um, Republican, Carolina. And so this bill would allow employees to penalize employers if you don't join the workplace wellness program that collects data. Now this thing that's so um, appalling about it is that this bill is so controversial because the employees, the employers would be allowed to use the workers' genetic information in employment decisions. Do you know what I just said? Employers would be allowed to use workers' genetic information in employment decisions. So this is really ridiculous. An increasing number of companies offering workplace wellness programs, around 61%, according to the House Education and Workforce Committee, which has passed the new legislation last week, okay, nearly 90% of large companies offer them. Participation grew when Obamacare allowed employees to offer 30% of the value of their benefits and incentives. Now, this program can range from something as simple as providing flu shots to offering classes so people quit smoking or take their medicine or lose weight. Um, People are often required to fill out forms that give a detailed medical history, you know, um, take baseline blood pressure and weight measurements. And some ask for genetic information, which could reveal health risks. So if a job knows that your genetic information shows that right now you have a high probability of acquiring type 2 diabetes or thyroid disease within the next five years or something like that, could, could you be fired because of that? Do they see your health risk as an employment risk? So they want to collect your genetic information. And what are they doing with this genetic information that you have to let them have or you can't have your job? 
because the bill would allow employers to penalize workers who opt out of the wellness program that collect their data. So if you opt out of it, they can penalize you by firing you. So be on the lookout for that. I know that in some hospitals they're requiring the nurses and all the professionals, the aides and everyone to take flu shots in order to work there. And if you don't take it, then you'll lose your job. I mean, there's a lot of this forced vaccination. And now, you know, they're in, they're just encroaching, like, on a deeper level, taking your genetic information. You know, and health and genetic information is protected under the federal non-discrimination and genetic privacy laws, such as the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act and the Americans with Disabilities Act. So they're just punching and knocking out the Constitution and the Bill of Rights all over the place. And people's heads are in such a tailspin, no one knows how to react but just comment on it. And so, you know, the masses are left to, you know, either follow the script or clock out. And so now back to this travel ban that's going on and um, how it's playing out around the world. American citizens, U.S. border agents can search your cell phone. So if you're traveling to um, this one couple, um, traveled from the U.S. to Toronto, and the U.S. Customs, and they they did this around um, January sometime, and the U.S. Customs Border and Protection Offices held them for two hours and took their cell phones and demanded their passwords. This was a 23-year-old filmmaker raised in New York, and um, her boyfriend, they went on a road trip. They both are American citizens, born and raised here. You know, and um, they took their cell phones. And three days later, they returned from another trip to Canada and were stopped again. And so one of the officers told the guy to come out. He said, hey, give me your cell phones. And so the guy, Shilby, said, no, I already went through this. And the officer asked the second time. And within seconds, he was surrounded. One man held his legs. Another squeezed his throat from behind. The third reached into his pocket, pulling out his cell phone. McCormick watched her boyfriend's face turn red as the officer's chokehold tightened. Then they asked McCormick for her phone. And she said that she wasn't about to get tackled, so she handled it over. And so Shilby and McCormick's experience is not, is not unique. In 25 cases examined by NBC News, American citizens said that the, that, the control border, that the control border patrol officers at airports and border crossings, so at airports and border crossings, demanded that they hand over their phones and their passwords or unlock them. The travelers come from across the nation, and they were both naturalized citizens and people born and raised on American soil. They travel by plane and by car at different times throughout different states. This is just something to keep in mind that this is what's happening. So um, in 2017 was a blockbuster year. 5,000 devices were searched in February alone. So my question is, are they putting something in the phone when they take it? 
If they took my phone and I had to give them the thing and I got it back, I'd have to get rid of that phone when I got it back. I, I wouldn't be – because it could be a tracking device, all kinds of things. They could have put something in your phone that could mess you up later on or something. You never know. You don't know what's going on. Why do they got to take your phone? So the control Border Patrol agents call it detaining cell phones and that the practice didn't start after Donald Trump's election, but the practice began a decade ago during the first George W. Bush, and that was through all of that Patriot Act stuff. But they took away all of our rights under the guise of, na- of national security. So, you know, they are able to, for- to forensically extract data from mobile devices, regardless of section, on most Apple and Android phones. And the reports document that it's proving ability to access deleted call logs, videos, photos, emails, in addition to Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram apps. Okay, so the ACLU is saying that they see individual officers and perhaps supervisors who are, who are well pushing those limits, exceeding their authority, and violating people's rights. And it says, and so multiple sources told NBC News that law enforcement and the intelligence community are exploiting a loophole to collect intelligence. Under the Fourth Amendment, law enforcement needs at least one reasonable suspicion if they want to search people or their possessions within the United States, but not at border crossings and not at airport terminals. So the Fourth Amendment, even for U.S. citizens, doesn't apply at the border. That's under case law that goes back 150 years. So as you travel throughout the country, if you're on a road trip to Canada and they ask you for your phone, don't bug out. You've been warned. Tell your loved ones. I get one of those phones that you just, you know, what do they call those? Those um, disposable phones, a track phone, and use that on vacation. And then get rid of it when you're done because they're going through your business. No matter what. I mean, put them in a chokehold, grab them by the feet, by the neck, three men. You know, that's too much just for the cell phone. Reach it in his pocket. How demoralizing. You know, so that's what's going on with the go and gnosis. And now we're going to move forward into technology. And this I found fascinating, and I know it's going to be mind-blowing information. Because <laughs> I mean, when, every time I say it, I just can't believe this is the reality I'm living in. So this is on Tech News, sorry, TechCrunch, TechCrunch.com, in the news section of TechCrunch. All right, posted March 13th. Swiss, re- Swiss researchers have developed edible robots made of gelatin edible robots okay researchers at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology in Lucerne details the creation of gelatin based actuators they're called actuators gelatin based actuators a technology that could bring us close closer to edible robots I'm looking at a picture it looks like jello so be careful of the jello shots it looks just like jello, like a tinted yellow jello. It's immediately strange. One team hasn't quite wrapped its head around it. 
um, the school's laboratory of intelligent systems, you know, has put this together. And they have a number of potential applications for edible robots. This is happening. Edible, gelatin-based edible robots. Including food that can walk itself to hotter or colder locations or inch its way toward the human or animal it's looking to feed. This is on TechCrunch. Food that can walk itself to hotter or or colder locations or inch its way toward the human or animal it's looking to feed. What's more immediately compelling, however, is the possibility of delivering automated medication. So see, they're going to, you know, introduce it under this guise. And, um... This is just mind-blowing. So it started off with the creation of an origami robot made from dried pig intestines that essentially folds in an attempt to capture and remove harmful swallowed items like batteries. So, so they would give this to, like, a child, and it would go inside and take the battery, like the AAA battery it swallowed, and bring it out the child's body or something like that. And then so they created so then they went from that and they created a fully digestible actuator that can be broken down by the human body. So so the creation of the actuators is part of a team's ongoing research into soft robotics. So it's a subfield of robotics inspired by nature that make for components that better comply with their environment. So notable applications of this technology include robotic grippers capable of conforming to a wide variety of shapes. So, you know, once inside the body, the robots could utilize internal chemical reactions to drive movement. (laughs) They could also leverage non-toxic battery design as part of a growing field of edible, edible, part of a growing field of edible electronics a growing field of edible electronics that can be digested but can pass through. They can't be digested but can pass through the body without harm, so they say. As for taste, it's pretty much non-existent because it's just a plain gelatin On in, in its current gelatinous version, right? So the researchers have teamed up with the, with the famous, world-famous, world-renowned Ecole Hotelier, you're going to get you at the hotel, at the restaurant, at the Ecole Hotelier de Lausanne, a world-class hospitality to create better-tasting robots in the future. So that gelatin will be made into cream sauce <laughs> and butter-flavored whatever goodness and icing on the cake. Edible robots. And there's supposed to be another um, reason for the edible robots is that um, some believe it will make them have longer life. Live forever, live longer. You know, I mean, this is a strange time to be alive. 
You know, so they're saying the edible robots are something that the doctors may be prescribing in the future. The doctors. I mean, they're really, you know, pushing how far they want to go. And we just have to be awake and aware. I mean, this has just made me just like, I have to cook. (laughs) Cook at home, cook and take things with me as I go out. We have like one of those coolers that you plug, those, those small coolers that fit in between the seat of the car and you plug it into your lighter and it keeps your food cold. It's like air compressor and a food thing and you could plug other things into it. It's best just to bring your meals with you. Because you could buy something at a very benign, you know, truck place, and you have to look at that salt. Is there is there any gelatin in this? <laughs> Especially at these big expos and they have food around. Like right now is the South by Southwest Festival. Um, that is uh, one of the preeminent festivals for new technology, new music, and new film mediums. Um, Twitter had its first mass grand awareness happen at a South by Southwest available um, festival. And so, you know, I was just in Austin, Texas last week. And so that's going on this week there. And they're having all these new um, technological advances just screened and um, shown off to the world right now. So look out for your edible robots. That is crazy. And um, in covert fashion, it was just unveiled in the South by Southwest Festival um, that there are these women, and they're a young they're 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 a group of women of color, young women of color who call themselves hyphen. H-Y-P-E-N dash labs. Again, a group of young women of color who call themselves hyphen H-Y-P-E-N dash labs. And they are scientists and architects and engineers turned artists. Overstand. Scientists, architects, and engineers turned artists. They're creating critical work for critical times, says Ashley Backus-Clark, a co-captain in the collective that includes designers from around the world. See, that's how we have to move, sisters and brethren. We have to collaborate and have collectives that include ones of talent around the globe. So Clark was trained as a molecular biologist by one of her partners, Carmen Aguilar E. Wedge, used to work as a structural engineer. At the conference, they're offering participants Participants, a look at their covert fashion accessories. Their art installation begins with, with a virtual reality experience they call neurospeculative Afrofeminism. I like that name. Neurospeculative Afrofeminism. It is a science fiction-like beauty salon for black women that anyone can live through using VR goggles. Inside the virtual reality world, beauticians braid the client's hair with electrodes meant to boost the brain power. Um, So not all of their inventions are as abstract and theoretical as the VR salon, which they first rolled out at this year's Sundance Film Festival. They're doing big things. That VR um, movie was just released at this year's Sundance. They also showcased a small line of covert 
fashion products designed to protect the wearer's identity. I love that idea. Fashion products designed to protect your identity. Because we're going into this new world. Praise the most high for sisters with forethought and foremind and activated abilities. Because we need products designed to protect the wearer's identity, particularly for people of color. Among the fashion prototypes they showed was an incandescent sun visor. So you can put it on in front of your face to deflect any malicious gaze and control your identity. Whoever, whomever you're looking at can't see in. What they see is a reflection of themselves. So if they're saying something about you that isn't nice, they're forced to view their own maliciousness in the mirror. High five through the, through the digital screen with that. Okay, they're forced to, con- to um, confront their own maliciousness in the mirror. The women also introduced gold, hip-hop-style door knocker earrings with hidden cameras and microphones in them. Okay? They went get smart on it. The door knocker earrings, the gold door knockers, have hidden cameras and microphones. So Clark says they could be useful during police stops to begin recording any sort of altercation or ambiguous interaction at the touch of a button. She says this is meant to put the power in the hands of the person wearing the earrings in an age where police are wearing body cams and using dashboard cameras. So Hyphen Labs also unveiled a purple and pink silk scarf that camouflages the wearer from facial recognition software. Overstand, these sisters. And, and I'm looking at the scarf now. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful scarf. You would never think it has any kind of technological influence or embedding and so the scarf camouflages your face from facial recognition software this kind is used by social media online retailers law enforcement and and the military so the scarf's strap so you know online retailers and law enforcement and the military all use this kind of software isn't that funny so the scarf's fabric is designed with 1200 pixelated faces meant to mislead the computer algorithms. You see, when you have one, once you put the mind in gear, nothing can stop this trend. Nothing. The scarf's fabric is designed with 1,200 pixelated faces meant to mislead the computer algorithms. We're looking at, like, what if people were to wear this to protest, Clark said. When you have so many faces on a garment, you can ultimately, even if people are wearing it, break the surveillance system entirely. The so-called hyperface software was designed by Adam Harvey, an American artist living in, living in Berlin. The idea here is that you're misleading the face detection algorithms by providing false positives, he said. And the way that would work in practice is if you're able to reduce the confidence score of your true face, then you blend into the background of fake faces. All right, so a few years ago, Harvey began working on designs like this as a student in New York University and now has a whole line of nouveau camouflage, including what he calls um, stealthware, anti-drone burkas and hijabs. Wow. They're made from textiles fabricated with silver, which makes them very expensive. They're meant to thwart thermal-detecting drones and spyware. Okay, so they have clothing <laughs> that's meant to thwart thermal-detecting drones. And spyware. And speaking about the drones, the highest percentage of pilots in the U.S. Air Force are now drone pilots. The drone pilots actually outnumber regular pilots that just get in the plane and fly it. 
So this is very um, with the time. So if you so if you introduce a, a barrier between your body's radiation of heat, which is equivalent to about a 100 watt light bulb, then you disappear. Harvey says. Okay. So when you introduce a barrier between your body's radiation of heat, which is the equivalent of a 100 watt light bulb, then you disappear. See, it's a little bit of magical. I wouldn't go so far as to say that it's a Harry Potter cloak, which people seem to really want it to be sometimes. He says it's a 99 cents Mylar blanket could do the same thing. Okay, a 99 cents Mylar blanket can do the same thing, but it isn't nearly as fashionable. So you can also mimic what they've done by getting a 99 cents Mylar blanket, M-Y-L-A-R. He's now working with Hyphen Labs to come up with even more covert designs. So check out the Sisterin. They're a global collective of women of color, hyphen dash labs. Okay? So that is what's happened with the go and gnosis and the technology segment. We're going to take a music moment and we're going to listen to um, Akaya, Dub Fire Sounds, Triple Threat. I'm in the mood for some upbeat music with that down news. Here we go. From 16, do it about to 16. Why buy your lead cup and don't the magazine? So tell the people, so don't try running. When the sister find your back, clock them in, them like the skin. When we are roll out, how is it ever clean? It was so life like how we did it there. And if they ever did proper from Portugal, we have to use the party pipe. I am a feel them the hard way. Rough on the rump, but that one half away. Talking that them come lazy, it's in a bad mind trap. Them would them set them talking and walk here as them not here drop. Why are you ain't turning up on a piece of the bike? So you want to kind of move forward and not turn back and drag at you. Because the people them say you, some strong boy get moved. Not the fire box, could not play number two one. I saw we come down to one conclusion. Fire box of the real reason. Yeah, when you're a girl, I hear representing for the fire box. So when I want with the rap, I do that. I want with the crap one. If I go, I did, then get this. Take me outside, 
sit in the green garden. Nobody out there, but it's so okay now. Bait in the sunlight, don't mind if rain falls. Take me outside, sit in the green garden. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. fly on the wings of a butterfly high as a tree tongue down again putting my bag down taking my shoes off walking the carpet a green velvet Yes, outside in the green garden. Okay, now we move forward into herbnology. And what's happening in this world? We have to be educated consumers, as the old Sims commercial used to say, is the best customer. You have to be an educated consumer. And on that note, um, there's a report at anonnews.com 
um, that there was a test in 2008, and um, it found that seven of the biggest olive oil manufacturers in the U.S have been cutting their products with cheaper, inferior oils such as sunflower and canola in order to minimize the cost of production. So that means that what you're thinking that you're buying as olive oil is 70% of the olive oil available in the U.S. has actually been cut with cheaper and nastier oils, meaning it's fake. 70% of the olive oils available in U.S. stores is actually fake. 70%. That's right, 70 So I hope you have a pen, sister and brethren. This is very important, okay? And so this, this, is, the, this is the background on this, okay? So in 2008, over 400 Italian police officers participated in a major crackdown called Operation Golden Oil in, in um, Italy. This resulted in a seizure of 85 oil farms that were adding certain percentages of chlorophyll to make it green to sunflower oil and canola oil and selling it as extra virgin olive oil. Extra virgin. The oil is mixed, perfumed, colored, and then flavored before being sold to the producer as extra virgin. These busts prompted the Australian government to investigate their own olive oil market. And indeed, after testing all of its brands of extra virgin olive oils in their laboratories, none were given the 212 certification for being pure olive oil. Okay, so that went from Italy to Australia. So all of these scams prompted the University of California here in America. Remember, I said it, it, it always starts overseas and it makes its way over here. That's why you have to pay attention to world events. Okay? All of these scams prompted the University of California to carry out studies on 124 imported brands of extra virgin olive oil. And they found that over 70% here in America of the samples failed the test. So here's the list of the brands that failed the test. Are you ready for this? Pompeian. I know we, somebody out here have bought Pompeian olive oil. It's fake. Bertoli. Bertoli olive oil is fake. Colavita. Type it in your Google, whatever, your, your, um, your Dog Pound, your, um, your Yahoo, your Bing, your DuckDuckGo. Fake olive oil companies. This will come up. Colavita. Star, Sasso, Antica Badia, Prima Donna, Mazzola, Mazzola olive oil, Boberio, Filippo Berio is fake. Safeway olive oil is fake. Safeway. Whole Foods. Whole Foods failed the test. Whole Foods olive oil is fake. Car- Carapelli with a C. Carapelli's fake. Coracili with a C. Coracili is fake. And Mazetta is fake. Now, the guys that passed the test and can be trusted, here's that list. It's Corto Olive, Otavio, Omaggio, Barani 
Olive Oil, Lucini, Kirkland Organics, for all of those that have Costco cards, all right? The Kirkland, the Kirkland Organic Olive Oil is natural. Olea Estates, even though I don't like the name Olea because that's a cancer-causing oil, but their olive oil at least is pure. Don't get anything with that Olea oil. Stop eating Pringles. They're made with Olea that's out of real oil, okay? But Olea Estates makes pure olive oil. McEvoy Ranch Organic, Mac, McEvoy Ranch Organic, Cobram Estates with a C, Cobram Estates, and California Olive Ranch. All right. So aside from the brands, aside from the brands, there's a simple test you can do at home to check if your olive oil is pure or not. Are you ready? This is how you can check at home if your olive oil is pure or not. Place the bottle in the fridge for around 30 minutes and check to see if it's starting to solidify. All right. You want to place the olive oil in the fridge for around 30 minutes starting to solidify. If it does, then it's a good indication that the oil contains a large amount of monounsaturated fat, which is exactly what extra virgin olive oil contains. Okay, so if it's starting to um, solidify, that means that it is real. It, it's a that there's a good indication that it's real extra virgin olive oil. If the oil doesn't begin to show signs of solidification, then it's a good sign that the oil is fake. This is not a perfect test yet. It is a good indicator if you're unsure about the quality of your oil, and I didn't list it in these two lists. You can also look for official government seals of approval, um, you know, on the labels such as California Olive Oil Council Certified Extra Virgin and things like that. So, you know, we have really had the pull, the um, the wool pulled over our eyes with this one, and it takes time to stand and stop supporting this corrupt industry of chemical additives, GMOs, and unhealthy alternatives. So hopefully this new action will decriminalize the olive oil industry around the world and restore it to being an honest trade where honest working persons get paid what other honest working per- people want to pay for. We're paying for health. That's why you're buying the olive oil. You, you know, you're thinking this is healthy stuff and Bertoli and Pompeian, you know, and Filippo Berrio and, and Whole Foods. I cannot believe Whole Foods. I mean, I could believe it, but still. It's just sad. Olive oil. Adding chlorophyll and perfumes to make it smell all olivey. <laughs> and it's not even real. That's disgusting. You know, we really need to um, just, when you make your shopping list, look things up. Look up the brands. It may take an extra 15 minutes or so, but... You know, it's like we don't even know. We're, we're feeding our children poison. We're feeding ourselves stuff. And then we don't even know why we're sick 10 years from now and what caused it. And it was this fake olive oil with these perfumes and stuff that you're eating for no reason besides somebody else's laziness and cost-cutting measure. On a, po- on a more positive note in herb knowledge, here are um, the top... 20 natural painkillers in your kitchen. The top 20 natural painkillers are ginger, 
you know, one or two teaspoons daily to the diet for general mu- muscle pain. I made some curry chicken tonight with extra ginger paste, and I'm not sore. It helps with the, you know, with the fibromyalgia. Um, cloves, chew gently for a, to- for, um, for a toothache or gum inflammation. Apple cider vinegar mixed with water before meals for heartburn. Garlic made into a special oil for earache. Um, cherries for joint pain, one bowl a day. I actually purchased tart cherry juice. It's like a syrup, really, and that helps with muscle pain and joint pain as well. Um, oily fish like salmon, tuna, sardines, trout, mackerel, herring is good for intestinal inflammation. Um, yogurt is good for PMS, two cups a day. Turmeric is good for chronic pain. I take turmeric on a regular basis. Um, oats is for endometrial pain, and they're also gluten-free. Um, salt, salty foot baths for ingrown toenails. You know, um, pineapple is good for stomach bloating and, and um, gas, one cup of fresh pineapple a day. Peppermint, you can add a few drops of the essential oil to bath for sore muscles. Grapes are good for back pain, one heaping cup per day. Um, water is a general injury pain. It helps wash away the pain triggering histamine. So you want to do eight by eight ounce glasses of water per day. Um, horseradish is good for sinus pain. One teaspoon twice daily horseradish for sinus. Blueberries is for bladder and urinary tract infections. If you're prone to that, you take one cup of blueberries daily. Um, raw honey, typical applications. Four times daily for cold sores, the canker sores. Um, um, flax is good for breast pain. Three tablespoons daily must be ground or seeds will pass right through you. And coffee is good for migraines. It stimulates the stomach to absorb um, pain medicines better as well. And tomato juice is good for leg cramps because it's rich in potassium. You would drink 10 ounces daily. So that's the way that, you know, those are just the natural painkillers that you have in your kitchen. And if you use them in a purposeful method, you can find yourself more physically at peace. And these are the top um, 12 home remedies for a sore throat. Um, a saltwater gargle, okay, um, one of the most recommended means to help get rid of a sore throat is, um, is um, saltwater gargling. And you would do, you know, um, a ratio of two to one. And then a Tabasco gargle is a spicy alternative to a saltwater gargle. Is a solution of 10 to 20 drops of Tabasco sauce in a glass of water. So the, so the Tabasco sauce, which is mainly comprised of peppers and vinegar and salt, the Tabasco gargle, hence, uses the antiviral and antibacterial properties of the three to eliminate the pathogen the pathogen causing the sore throat, similar with the saltwater goggle, and you don't swallow it, the saltwater goggle, because it can irritate the stomach. Um, a baking soda solution. Baking soda possesses antibacterial activity, specifically against streptococcus mutants. A baking soda gargle can help reduce the number of bacteria causing sore throat. So you mix a half a, ta- um, a, half a teaspoon of baking soda in a glass of warm water. And you use that solution as a gargle. And honey has also been appreciated for its antibacterial properties. Um, Such feats can be used in the treatment of a sore throat. It can eliminate the bacteria bacteria responsible for sore throat 
and hasten the healing process. Honey can also draw water out of inflamed tissue. This ability helps in the reducing of swelling. So you want to mix two to three teaspoons of honey in a cup of warm water or even tea. So two to three teaspoons of it. Okay. And lemon. Lemons contain a wide range of beneficial phenololic compounds and vitamins and minerals and dietary fibers and essential oils and carotenoids. Just when you need to boost your immune system to combat any infection, according to the, to the USDA nutrient database, an average size raw lemon has 53 milligrams of vitamin C, 2.8 grams of, of dietary fiber, 8 milligrams of magnesium, and 0.6 milligrams of zinc. And so some lemon juice, so add some lemon juice to a glass of hot water plus two teaspoons of honey. Uh, alternately consume the fruit directly with some salt on a lemon if desired to help with a sore throat. Black currant. Like lemon, black currants are rich in vitamin C and minerals. And it has um, 181 milligrams of vitamin C. It has vitamin E. It has a large amount of magnesium and phosphorus and zinc. Um, and, ha- and so in a Nigerian study, black currant was determined to have high antioxidant content and free radical scavenging abilities. So all these make black currant an excellent counter to the infection related to sore throat. So make a black currant gargle by diluting black currant concentrate in some hot water. And so um, vitamins, if the cause of your sore throat appears to be a viral or a bacterial infection, there's nothing better to do than helping your body fight off what's causing the infection. So bolster and strengthen your immune system by consuming diet, um, a diet packed with vitamin C and E and minerals such as zinc and magnesium. Um, water, it goes without saying, and that an adequate consumption of water works wonders during infection. Drink plenty of water. Water in general will keep one's mucous membranes moist and hydrated. Furthermore, water helps thin the secretions in the throat that can soothe the irritation. And tea, drinking, drinking a cup of tea, just a simple cup of tea, can be beneficial for someone suffering from sore throat. As it's basically a fluid, it works similarly with water, soothing the throat and keeping the tissue hydrated. And tea also boasts a good amount of antioxidants, with, which, which will strengthen one's immunity to combat the infection. Um, slippery elm, slippery elm bark is a centuries-old herbal remedy for sore throats. It contains mucilage. I've actually used the slippery elm bark in hair care products um, because of the mucilage. It's good for moisturizing and detangling the hair. Just that on a side note, you can make a tea for your hair with slippery elm. Um, when which becomes slick, the gel when mixed with water, which can be used to coat and soothe the mouth and throat. The fine and dried powder from the inner back of the slippery elm can be mixed with teas or extracts or taken like lozenges. Add around two tablespoons of slippery elm powder into two cups of hot water to make a tea and drink that three times daily. And licorice root has long been utilized as a home remedy for sore throat. It possesses anti-inflammatory and demulescent properties, soothing the irritation in the throat. And so um, it's demonstrated that licorice gargle performed five minutes before anesthesia attenuates the incidence of severity of post-operative sore throat. So if you gargle with the licorice root before you have to have surgery, 
you know, when they stick that tube down your throat, if you gargle with the slippery elm before you have the surgery and they put you at an anesthesia, your throat's not going to hurt as bad as if you didn't have the slippery elm before. So that's something good to know for post-operative sore throat. You can do it before the anesthesia attenuates. And so you would consume some some warm licorice tea or incorporate the licorice and gargles. And last but not least is marshmallow root. Another one, side note, I've used that with slippery elm for my hair because of its high mucilage amount. Um, Marshmallow root, um, the shrub marshmallow works in the same manner as slippery elm. Through its throat coating mucilage, marshmallow root keeps the throat coated and eases the soreness of inflamed tissues. And so the aqueous extract um, from the roots of marshmallows are effective treatment for irritated mucous membranes. And so these bioadhesive polysaccharides are associated with physical formation of a mucin-like substance on the top of irritated tissues. Moreover, the marshmallow extract stimulates cell viability and proliferation of epithelial cells. One can avail of marshmallow's healing properties by making a tea out of it. Add two teaspoons of the herb in a cup of hot water for 10 minutes and then strain the drink and drink five to five, um, three to five cups daily. And so I've made a mixture just on a side note for hair with slippery elm, marshmallow root and flax seeds. I'll put the flax seeds in like two cups of water, one cup of flax seed, and I'll add the tea bags of slippery elm and marshmallow root and I'll cook it down and strain it in a strainer and then you have a gel. And then you can add like vitamin E or black Jamaican, um, Jamaican black castor oil to it. And you mix it up together. You can add some essential oil that you like, you know, some musk or lavender or lang lang or whatever that you like to smell. And you mix it and put it inside your fridge. It'll last for a good week. And so that's a natural hair gel. You know, for the young ones, if you're doing their hair, you need, you know, some gel. That's a quick fix. Flaxseed, slippery elm, and marshmallow root. You can have instant hair gel within 10 minutes. It lasts for a week in a jar in your fridge, you know. And you add some um, oils to it, and you're coating. And because of the high mucilage content, you have natural gel, you know, in comparison to these. Can you imagine electronic robotic gelatin? I'm still floored for that. <laughs> they want us to eat the robots. Don't eat it. Okay, I wonder if there was a movie that had that in there and what, how that played out. But that's what's going on in the Herb Knowledge. We're going to take a music moment and we're going to come back with the metaphysics of the moment. So it's taking me some time to... Realize who I am and where I'm coming from And I'm seeing everything and everyone around me Just fall apart for different reasons And it's scaring me, it's scaring me And I'm just trying to be the best I can And when I'm falling down, I get up again I get up again It's all temporary Better know, better know, better know Better know, better know, better know I don't want to
doesn't take me long when I walk down the block to realize what's right with this world and what's wrong with it. Yeah, what's wrong with it? Because there's so many damn things that are wrong with it. And it's just in my hood. God knows I ain't always been good, but you see, I won't wait on no man. I won't wait on no Don't man. get caught in the quicksand, no. It's a cost to carry. Better know, better know, better know. It's all temporary. Better know, better know, better know. Okay, ain't no use in living hollow. Be filled with the truth and the light and the love of the Most High. As long as you can, grab all the light, infuse it into your own light, and expound light, and shine in the glory of the Most High. So for the metaphysics of the moment, um, I mentioned Galatians earlier in the program in the praise-up section quite often. And the metaphysical meaning of Galatians It means of or belonging to Galatia. The people of Galatia, but here more especially to the ones whom Paul wrote his epistle to the Galatians. The metaphysical meaning is that the thoughts that belong to Galatia's state of consciousness. Okay, the assembly of Christians at Galatia to whom Paul wrote his epistle would be the thoughts belonging to the Galatia consciousness. The word of truth. See, we're discussing all the principles of seven and the sevens in time and the sevens in the sacred text and the sevens that we need to help develop our mind. And it's based in truth. You know, Yeshua talked about the sevenfold peace and the sevenfold path. So would be the thoughts belonging to the Galatia consciousness, the word of truth, Paul doing its quickening work in the mind and the body of the individual. You see, doing its quickening work in the mind and the body of the individual is awakening these thoughts to life and to an understanding of the things pertaining to truth. 
That's what we're doing on this journey together. We are understanding the things pertaining to truth, doing its quickening work in the mind and the body of the individual. Waking, awakening these thoughts to life and to the understanding of the things pertaining to truth. Okay? And so, you know, Paul was a Jewish man of Tarsus who persecuted the Christians for a time, but was converted to Christ by means of a vision. And he became one of the greatest of the apostles, and he wrote many of the books of our New Testament. His name was Saul before he became a Christian, Acts 9, 1, 22, 13, and 9. So the metaphysical meaning of Paul is the different symbolisms and shades of meaning are given to Paul and to his life and ministry, all bearing on the important work of overcoming in the individual. We have to overcome. Some of them are as follows. In the early history of, of, of um, Paul, we behold two states of mind. Sounds familiar? We behold two states of mind. The pharisaical state of mind, which may be found in one who is intellectually educated and may inherit his religious bias or get it by association. And second, the spiritual state of mind, which is found in one who attains real spiritual understanding through illumination by the Christ mind. So Paul experienced both of these states. One, when one has been associated with and has zealously defended the doctrines of some sect and afterward changes one's mind and preaches differently, one is persecuted by those who are still loyal to the old faith. Under these circumstances, one should make a simple statement of the facts in the case and then go about defending the new doctrine, the one that has espoused, by demonstrating in one's life. You have to demonstrate in your life that what it teaches. In your life. You know, so Paul represents the word of the spirit of truth. The converted Paul, formerly Saul, the will, comes by the power of the word, the most active thought, and the establishment of good throughout our being. All right? So the word of the spirit of truth, the will becomes, by the power of the word, the most active thought in the establishment of good throughout our being. The will is the very essence of self-consciousness, the will. And that goes back to the seven laws of harvest. Perseverance. The will is the very essence of self-consciousness. The story of the conversion of the work of Saul of Taurus fills a large place in biblical history. In this symbology, Saul represents the human will. In all permanent character building, the action of the will is based on understanding. Will and understanding go hand in hand. Will and understanding goes hand in hand. That's another principle that we spoke about earlier there. You have to have that overstanding and that understanding while standing. Right? They are the Ephraim and the Manasseh of Scripture whose allotment in the promised land was, was in joint ownership. The conversion of Saul was preceded by a great light of spiritual understanding. The word Saul typifies the will in personal dominance. After the discovery that there is a wisdom greater than the personal will, the name is changed to Paul, which means little, restrained, lessened, made small. In its character, is converted from that of a violent and oppressive prosecutor 
of things spiritual to the devout and obedient champion of the humble Christ and the spiritual I am. It should not be inferred that the will is weak version. It is made stronger in every aspect when the will is acting in harmony with divine law. Divine law. When the will is acting in harmony with divine law. Overstand. Applying the seven principles. Divine law. The sevenfold peace. The divine law. Its work is gentle, and to the superficial onlooker, the will seems little. Saul was a prominent figure in the work of suppressing the early Christians. He carried the authority of the mighty Sanhedrin with a zealous and cruel hand because of lack of real spiritual understanding. But when conversion came, he went forth with a price on his head. He was a very small figure in that day. It has taken the centuries to prove how great was the quiet but steady and persistent planting of the gospel among the Gentiles, Acts 22.3. Paul and Silas, Acts 16.25-40, represent the will and the understanding in their work of clearing up the consciousness. You see, the will and the understanding in their work of clearing up the consciousness. You have to work at clearing up your consciousness. It's a work. So Paul's fearlessness was the strong point of his character. To him, truth came first and the things of the world second. This is what made him the great apostle. He he was will personified in conjunction with understanding, overstanding. When these are joined in consciousness, man is equal to any emergency. Personified in conjunction with understanding, when joined in consciousness, man is equal to any emergency. Anyone, any emergency comes up. You're equal to it when your will is in conjunction with your understanding and your overstanding as you stand. When this is joined with the consciousness in man, you're equal to any task at hand. The entrance of Paul and his companions into Europe is symbolical of opening up the word of truth in parts of the consciousness where it has never before been realized. Okay, so that's what time it is. It's time to open up the word of truth in parts of your consciousness that has never before been realized. We're living in serious times. They're doing microbiological warfare, and they're going to make it into a creamy-tasting sauce. They're going to serve it to you as dessert. Or add it to the risotto. We could blend in. This is the time now for the opening of the word of truth in the parts of consciousness where it has never before been realized. I've thoroughly enjoyed it's personally that I am trying to fix and master and evolve into myself. No man is perfect, but we can reach for perfection. Study the laws, the divine laws that have been here. You know, there are people living lives 
with, with, you know, with small losses and big wins, you know, and we can all be one of them. We have to master our polarities, master our judgment, master our frequencies, master our mind, make that list of what you don't like to help you figure out what it is you do like if you're not sure. Plot your path for you and your children to go through the maze. You can look at the maze and figure out the way around it, right? It's time to open your mind to the truth within your consciousness like you never have ever done before because they are doing things in this world today. that you can no longer put your head in the sand about. You can't just sit back and let it run on autopilot. So we're going to come back next week. We're going to do part two. We're going to delve into these laws. And I wish everyone blessings and strength and intelligence and health and all good things and a rise in consciousness. Blessings. One. Oh.